0: shout out this week to Tacmed. If you haven't checked them out yet, jump on their website and have a look. They provide trauma training and specialist equipment to save lives in complex environments. Speaking of complex environments, this week's Warrior U podcast is an extract from my next book. The book is a collection of life experiences and challenges that I feel will help the average person put things into perspective. This chapter is called Cultural Tolerance and is an experience from my time as a platoon commander of a commando platoon in Afghanistan also if you liked the episode where cyrus Rustum and i were talking about body fat and if you're following my new mission which is to get below 10 percent body fat by november next year if you have any questions feel free to send them my way i'll pass them on to him and we'll make a whole another podcast based around your questions about nutrition body fat training dietetics all that sort of stuff all right enjoy today's show Cultural Tolerance Bottom line up front. There are cultural differences throughout the world, shared norms and practices that look foreign to an outsider. I've witnessed primitive people who acutely understand this concept. If they can get it, if they can be tolerant and move on, then surely Westerners can also be tolerant of others who are different to ourselves. Take a moment to imagine a world where everyone was culturally the same, and imagine how boring that would be. I placed the Steiner binoculars on the hood of the Bushmaster protected mobility vehicle. From the overwatch position, out in the open desert plateau, I could see that the white building was heavily defended. The only thing separating us from the building was a few kilometres of sand and rocks and the vegetation in the thick green belt. A stream full of water flowed at its centre, and a culvert choke point was the main obstacle to contend with. I looked around at the platoon, going about their business. The men were mostly in shorts body armour, baseball caps, and were kicking up dust as they moved in and around our assembled vehicles, packing their equipment, vinyl weapon and radio inspections, and organising all the items required for this afternoon's meeting. I'd been tasked to talk to the governor in the area and his police chief. My mission was fairly simple. Keep them on side. Don't promise more than we could deliver while trying to elicit a specific piece of information from them about a known Taliban sympathiser in the area, possibly within the police itself. The sympathiser had been sending information to the Taliban, and we had reason to believe was also either digging in IEDs, or at the very least, shipping the parts around the valley for someone. In recent months, the relationship between the Special Operations Task Group and the police in Chora had risen to a new high. It had been nurtured, and we were starting to help them build capacity in the township, thanks mostly to the efforts of the previous rotation of commandos. The white building was secured on all corners by the police, and there were roadblocks leading from the desert all the way to the front gate. The Afghan National Army patrolled the Greenbelt, and we can see that this was an important meeting for everyone concerned. The day previous, we had a close call as we entered the Outer Chora area. We had startled a militia roadblock, manned by police officers in plain clothes. Our forward vehicle had rounded a corner and surprised them, my men as equally surprised. The only reason we didn't initiate was because we had rolled onto them so fast. We had no indication that they were in the area, and they had in the first instance looked to be about to flee which would have undoubtedly ended with us in kinetic pursuit. Yet another example of courageous restraint. Once we had checked their documents, radioed their headquarters, their identities were confirmed. It would have been probably the third or fourth time that we had bounced onto a roadblock, and I was surprised that this time they are actually legit. After a few more hours of watching the White Building, I developed a plan. It was decided that we would roll the whole Armada straight into town, a show of force. We would position our vehicles within the street behind the compound. Twelve Bushmasters made for a large signature, but it also meant business. Remote weapon stations, four teams of commandos, engineers, dogs, and an Afghani response team. Anyone attacking us today, it would be the last day on their earth. Thought I'd just put that in there. I made the small walk from the Alpha vehicle with a couple of commandos, my interpreter and my intelligence analyst. We all concealed carried h and USPs and left our body armour behind. The actions onto the platoon was extensive and I was confident that I had thought of every angle should I need support, or should something happen in the other location. Every angle had been given thorough consideration. I enjoyed this type of work. It was classic counterinsurgency. I'd studied international studies at university, with a major in societies, and I felt that I was more than equipped and qualified to conduct these white space operations to great effect. In fact, I sold it to platoon as coin to contact. We would use counterinsurgency to position ourselves to then take advantage of the enemy conduct ambushes or other sophisticated operations leveraging off locally one information. History would show that we were very effective at this. When we arrived at the white compound, we were warmly welcomed and then ushered into the building where we took sweet cardamom tea and exchanged small talk about the weather, crops and other general chit-chat. The Governor and I discussed security and how we might help them further. I promised nothing and agreed to further meetings and I asked them all of their concerns and issues, many of which I had heard a million times before. They fought each other verbally to be the loudest, to tell me they needed more money, more men, vehicles, a new school, a new drinking well, the roads needed to be fixed, the crops needed more irrigation, etc, etc. Soon, though, we were joined by another group, and then the mood changed. This group was a smaller faction police group, along different family and tribal lines, and both groups were having trouble agreeing on anything. The room grew silent. I tried to spark up some more conversation. However, no one was speaking and the meeting looked like it was going to be a no-go. It looked like it had been finished before it started. My main focus of the meeting was to try and find a name for a known Taliban sympathiser within the police, and this would have been a huge coup for us. Perhaps he was even there, I thought, but now the meeting was going to be over. The conversation wrapped up, and I sought to take my leave. The governor pressed us to stay at least for a late lunch, and almost at the same time, chai boys arrived with three huge platters of steaming goat stew and an endless supply of flatbread. I had never, not once in all my days in Afghanistan, been sick. Not gastro-sick, anyway. I had colds and flus almost constantly on my first trip, which looking back on it probably made me less susceptible to the colds and flus when I lived in Dubai years later, having had all of them from the Pakistani workers that had migrated from Pakistan to our camp in Afghanistan. The same flus had most likely migrated back and forth to the UAE with the young Pakistani men looking for gardening and labour work in order to support their families. Colds aside, I put my good fortune to not having gastro down to drinking bottled water, washing my hands and basically adhering to modern hygiene principles. I'd only eaten the local food once before, and this was a matter of urgency, as we'd been trapped in valley for a few days without food, and well, you know, needs must. We paid some locals richly to make us dinner. Then we made them eat it. Half of it, anyway, in front of us, to ensure that it hadn't been poisoned. Anyway, I digress. We all sat cross-legged in a rectangle around long, colourful tapestry mats, Bowls were passed around and the Afghanis used pieces of flatbread to scoop up the orange oily slop and pile it into their plates. I thought that large pieces of meat would be best, and I knew to avoid the head, tongue, pretty much anything else that looked like tripe. As we started to eat, the conversation slowly started to increase. My interpreter was talking to me in hushed tones, explaining the political conversations taking place. In between mouthfuls of food, he would explain how someone said this or some person had done that. I ate and tried to seem thoughtful. However, I wasn't really paying attention, not that much anyway, as the food was pretty good. I shoveled it in and then cleaned my plate with the flatbread. The chief of police had cracked open the skull of beast and they quarrelled for a time over who would eat the goat's brain. Similar pantomime was conducted over the tongue and the eyes and the skull was transformed in front of me from looking like an animal that had once been walking out the back of the compound to a bare skeleton. Most people were on their second helping, so I helped myself to what was left of the main platter, four big chunks of bone and meat and some orange gravy. Now the conversation was really going in earnest. They seemed to have forgotten some of their family issues, and there was even a little bit of laughter and ribbing. A question was pointed directly towards me, and the interpreter outlined the general idea for me to postulate on. I can't even remember the exact question, but I remember exactly what happened next. I thought deeply about my response, provided a few words, then picked up a piece of meat from the plate with my hands and started to gnaw on it between my explanation. I stretched the meat and gristle hard with my teeth away from the bone. It snapped back with a satisfying crack and I looked up at the same time. The Afghanis all looked at me in silence, their mouths agape. Some shook their heads and looked away in disgust. Others' eyes narrowed as they judged me and some, maybe two or three, were biting their lips with furrowed brows, the way a Westerner does when a culture responds to an embarrassing situation. The Governor said something and it was repeated around the room as they shook their heads and then nodded in agreement. Bowls were flung hard out of their hands, discarded on the tapestry, and glances shot left and right to affirm their position on my behaviour. Maybe there was twenty people seated around the plates, containing the remains of the goat. All of them stared back at me. I turned to my interpreter. "'What the hell is going on?' I asked. He sort of chuckled under his breath and looked down at his feet. "'They called you a fucking savage, boss,' he semi-whispered. I was confused, like seriously confused. I just witnessed these men tearing the segmented remains of this beast apart.' including its head and internal organs. And I was a savage? I looked at all the Afghanis in their eyes. Boss, one of the commandos beside me, was trying to make sense of the situation. I could feel their confusion as the tension in the room mounted. Boss, he said again. I turned my attention back to my interpreter. I don't understand. Ask them why they're calling me that. I became aware of my USP in the paddle holster while becoming even more aware of the AK-47s leaning against the wall behind the men. The historical bullet holes along the wall further heightening my situational awareness. I could sense the two commandos behind me, now very slowly moving apart to gain a better angle should they need to draw their weapons. We weren't going to get out alive, but neither were many of them. My heart rate increased slightly as the adrenaline kicked in. The interpreter asked me some more questions in Pashto, and the response was spat around the room with venom. The interpreter snickered as he did, and the police chief who was picking his large nose at the time. I remember that very clearly, as he ate the contents while delivering his response. The same police chief had called me a savage. "'Boss,' he said that anyone who eats the feet of a goat is a savage." You have no morals and haven't been brought up very well. As I was told this in English, the look on my face must have been priceless. The Afghanis instantly rolled around on the mats like six-year-old kids, feet kicking in the air, holding their bellies. Some wiped tears of laughter away. Others hugged friends, slapping them on the back next to them while they laughed, and a few of them jumped up and came over to me, placing their heads on my shoulders and patting me on the back, crying with laughter. One guy picked up some meat and then mimicked me, eating it, and the group all around him laughed all the harder. I laughed too, nervously at first. And then raucously, with the men, and over a good deal of time, everyone then settled down. We got back to our previous conversation, and everyone spoke freely and with passion about the community and the positive steps towards a bright future for the local area and the Afghans in general. More tea was offered and consumed. Looking back on it now, it had been a great afternoon. Then, just before nightfall, and our departure, and when the time was right, I politely asked the assembled group for silence, and then I asked a pointed question of my own. And the Taliban's sympathizer's fate was sealed seemingly by the foot of a goat. Obstacle racing is all the rage across the world. And here in Australia, we are sport for quality. If you want to test your physical and mental toughness, then get outside and compete in True Grit. It's a military inspired obstacle course. I know it's legit because I served in special forces with a co-founder and managing director, Adam McNamee. And to celebrate our bromance, the good dudes at True Grit have created a discount code for listeners of this podcast. Use the code WARRIORU2019. That's WARRIORU2019 for 10% off every one of the 2019 events. And hopefully, I'll see you there wearing one of my WARRIORU t-shirts. Catch you, gang. Bye.